meeting her was really a manifestation. Mm. I'm not the same type of manifester as Eileen where she'll like, you know, yell at the moon and <laughs> burn a bunch of stuff. <laughs> but like, I really was working on myself so intensely that the partner I really needed was her. Mm-hmm. And so meeting her at that time was not only a precursor to where I was going, but also where I was at. Welcome to My Spiritual Friends from Worthy Well, the podcast that's here to affirm and inspire you on your spiritual journey. I'm your host, Shelby Renee Giles. Grab some tea and settle in as I dive deep into the stories behind the spiritual awakenings and numinous experiences of people from all walks of life and how those experiences changed how they see and care for themselves and the world around them. We're here to normalize your spiritual experiences in the physical realm, one story at a time. Come out of your spiritual closet with us. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode. I'm so grateful that you're here with me on this journey, and I hope you are journeying well with all that's been moving in the universe. Um, A lot has been happening, so I hope you all are taking care of yourselves and really tuning in to source your truth and how you can best show up in this time. So I appreciate you for making this podcast part of how you support yourself, and I'm excited to share another story with you. This time, I am in conversation with Eileen Ramirez, and Mike Gazzo. Eileen is a healer who uses the modalities of breathwork, Reiki, yoga, and space cleansing. She is also a student learning to be human through plant medicines. And as the business owner of Unearthed, she believes in a vision of combining healing with wellness and bringing these modalities to individuals in their homes in person, or over Zoom. Her specialty is being educated on energy centers in the body, referred to as chakras, in order to interpret what the body, mind, and spirit are trying to communicate to us. She helps individuals create a healthy relationship within themselves to then attract only healthy relationships in their lives. And she reminds her clients that a healthy relationship does not mean you will not be triggered. So moving on to Mike. So Mike started his spiritual journey four years ago. He has worked with countless modalities, including Vipassana meditation, sitting for over 250 hours in silent reflection. He has studied many spiritual texts, working with a variety of plant medicines and continues to expand his tool belt through the path of self-discovery and healing it became clear that he was meant to help others in this lifetime. This calling was clear through journeying in ayahuasca, breathwork, and peyote to becoming a full embodiment of a light warrior. With a combination of perspectives, approaches, medicines, and modalities, his goal is to create the deepest possible container for a person to dive within themselves and remember who they truly are to effortlessly ride the wave of life and begin to understand the true nature beneath the self. 
I got so much out of having this beautiful conversation with these two, and I hope you will as well. So let's dive in. All right. Hey, you two. Hello. Thank you for joining me for this conversation. I'm so excited to just dig into both of your journeys and just have a really inspiring conversation. So thank you for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Yeah. I'm very grateful to, to especially be doing it together. It's our first time doing a podcast together. Amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm honored to be the facilitator of this joint venture. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. very excited. So I always think it's fun to first talk about how I meet my guests and you two, whether you realize it or not, uh, have been a really beautiful, uh, inspiring force, uh, you know, in my transition to LA. And so Mm -hmm. you all were the first healing experience event that I participated in when I first moved here. And I think it was early April and a friend from a breathwork training I participated in back in June, um, Cora had posted about this on her Instagram and I was just like, Oh, I should go to that. And so I came, it was so transformative. Like my heart chakra just like burst wide open (laughs) during the experience. And literally like days after I felt the impact of, you know, just this powerful breathwork experience that I had with, you know, you two that you hosted at your home. So just want to express gratitude for that. And I've gotten, you know, the opportunity to do that twice with you, which has been amazing. And I'm looking forward to the next one. And I have to also say, um, I think people who know me will get a kick out of this. Um, You were also my first um, cold plunge experience, (laughs) which which was incredible. And just, you know, I feel like my inner child would have like jumped right in. But the, the, you know, 38-year-old me was like, am I going to do this? I don't know. And then, <laughs> and then I got FOMO, which always is what gets me. And I, I jumped in. So yeah. I'm so glad I did. <laughs> yeah, We're glad you came. Very glad. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank I know you. it's so beautiful to always see the community aspect as well. Mm-hmm. When we first, like our first breathwork event, we didn't have a lot of people who did the cold plunge. Now I would say like, 95% of the people mm-hmm. did it. So I'm glad the FOMO worked. <laughs> it does. It works. Peer, the peer pressure is a, is a good peer pressure. <laughs> yeah. It's a good, it's the most positive type of peer pressure. You're like, oh, yeah. well, they did it and they did it and they did it. I can do it, you know? Yeah. So I love it. Thank you both for just, you know, being such a safe space and welcoming space for healing for a number of people now. I know this is something that's expanding. Um, do you all want to share anything about that experience and just what inspired you to start hosting these events before we dive into the conversation? Yeah. So, I mean, originally I had been personally on a breathwork journey for about a year and 
it was, I originally found breathwork in the context of integration for plant medicine. Mm. Uh, so I had tried a few practitioners and then landed on Cora. And then I was like, okay, here's, here's my person. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then shortly thereafter, Eileen started getting into breath work and we were like, this is such a powerful modality. We want to share it with our friends. Mm -hmm. So the original intention behind really the whole entire workshop was just to share it, share breath work, share Mm -hmm. the experience. And then it sort of took a life of its own. And, you know, now like Eileen and I are, are hosting it ourselves. Cora has moved mm-hmm. back to East. So that transition was kind of a beautiful, like graduation transition. Yeah. But it's turned into what was originally based in like this idea of community, but more of like sharing with our existent community mm-hmm. to now building and cultivating the new community of friends and family that will be a part of each other's journeys, a uh, a helping hand when, when each other needs, you know, any of us need that helping hand. And Mm -hmm. also just like a place for people to express parts of their being that they may not have like an outlet to express some of the, like, I like to call it like a fluffy or ethereal stuff that can happen in, (laughs) in the healing process and the spiritual Mm -hmm. process that otherwise, you know, you may not have a person in your life to talk to about it. Really, the workshop is, I would say the workshop is just a glimpse of what's possible. What's really beautiful is when people stay after and we do the plunge and we talk Mm -hmm. and we eat and hang out and talk about life and talk about these experiences that are so fundamentally important and that we, most of us are searching for true community. So, yeah. 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 I would say on my end, um, Breathwork definitely came in a chaotic time in our lives. Like we Mm -hmm. went to go do ayahuasca together end of October of last year. We're back Mm -hmm. in November. Our first breathwork workshop was at the end of November. So I remember Mike was like. I'll take that blame. Yeah. He like started to get a bunch of equipment and I'm over here like we're just doing this like once or twice, like for family and friends. Like he definitely (laughs) had a lot more like confidence in it that I think Mm -hmm. in that it actually healed I don't know if you want to call it a trauma, but it healed this idea that people before I used to like, I felt very alone on my spiritual journey and my Mm -hmm. healing journey that I just truly believed that no one would be interested in it. Like I thought Mm -hmm. we'd do the breathwork workshop and like, people would be like, like, why do you do breathwork? And obviously to my surprise, like everyone loves it. And it really Mm -hmm. was like, oh, okay, you want to like be a part of this world. So it's like slowly started me opening me up more and more. So now the community has grown so much, but it definitely took in my eyes its own life when it started growing and people were like, when's the next one? And would Mm -hmm. want to share. And like our first one was only one day and we had so much interest that our next event was two days. And now all of our Mm -hmm. events are two days that it really just like brings so much warmth truly to my heart to know that it's been able to help all kinds of people, like from 12 year olds coming to our breathwork workshop to retirees and like people all over their journey, like some people who aren't even spiritual at all, but are there to like support another person and then f- in that mm-hmm. finding their own feeling just because they were open-minded. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's just like a really beautiful journey and I'm even more excited to continue to see where it goes. 
Sure. Yeah, I'm excited too. I'm just honored to, you know, be able to participate in it and benefit mm-hmm. from it, you know, mm-hmm. like so many others. So thank you for creating it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get into the conversation. I think you both have, you know, heard some of the podcasts in the past and, you know, the intention behind this is to really help to normalize people's spiritual experiences and journeys in a way that inspires us all to just be more conscious participants in that journey. And we're doing that through storytelling. So thank you again for lending your story, you know, to Mm -hmm. the podcast. And I want to actually start by digging a little bit into each of your individual spiritual journeys and feel free to, you know, jump in Mm -hmm. with um, one another throughout this piece of it, because I know you two, you know, know each other so well. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have things to add, Mm -hmm. but Eileen, let's start with you. Um, yeah. So when you think back to childhood, what did spirituality Mm -hmm. mean for you growing up and how did it just show up in your life? So the backstory is that I did go to a private Catholic school growing mm-hmm. up. So from kindergarten to seventh grade. So like we always had religion class. So because of that, I always, since as long as I could remember, I've been like identifying as someone who is spiritual. And then eventually you, you know, you get into your preteens and you realize like, I don't know if I'm like religious, but I'm like definitely spiritual. And I've Mm -hmm. definitely have always believed in God, but I definitely went away from the religion starting when I was like 12 and started calling God the universe. Like it just... Mm -hmm whatever Mm -hmm. reason resonated with me more. I also have like some traumatic stories with like religious teachers. Religion studies was my absolute favorite class. Like it Mm -hmm. always was. But I remember when they would talk about um, stories and we'd have to like read the Bible and then like talk about it and stuff. They would say certain things about God or about the religion. I was like, "Mm, I don't think that's true. Like I think God loves everyone, you know, so I would get kind of in trouble for asking these like questions. Really, they weren't questions. They were just like remarks of me like Mm -hmm. telling them like, that's not how God is and stuff. Mm -hmm. So then when I was 12, I really wanted to be a kid actress. I had a lisp. My parents were like, okay, get rid of your lisp and you could start acting class. And my first two teachers were very spiritual and they talked about the power of manifesting. Mm. So that's sort of what started up my spiritual journey again. So much so that my first book reading when I started this like acting workshop was The Secret to Teen Power by Paul Harrington. So it's basically Mm. the secret, but dumbed down for a teenager. And they basically said like, in this industry, it's not just about talent. Like a lot of it is about luck. It's about being at the right place at the right time. So you need to sort of like manifest into your life. Mm -hmm. And I remember just like being so, I loved it. You know, we had to make dream boards and like this acting class, like it was so fun. And then now like two years later, really successful in like my acting career. Like I booked basically right away. I got representation Mm -hmm. right away. Now I'm like in high school and my friends start asking me like, Eileen, why do you get everything you want? And I was like, (laughs) oh, well, let me tell you. Um, Mm -hmm. It's because I manifest it all. And I remember Mm -hmm. I was like this little 14 year old, just like telling all her friends how to like manifest the the map they wanted and stuff. But how it's different now is my parents were always like, 
open to it. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily that they were the way that I was, but they allowed me to express myself. I think the missing piece from it was this like sense of equality where mm-hmm. I used spirituality for like self-confidence to get what I wanted. Like it was almost like all about me in mm-hmm. like sort of a selfish or if you even want to say like narcissistic way mm-hmm. that as I'm older, I'm having to It's not like change the beliefs because I have so much knowledge, but it's Mm -hmm. almost like strip away the beliefs to like its core and like start from scratch and then slowly remember things that I knew as like a kid about spirituality. Because Mm -hmm. at a certain point, I ended up being self-taught because I was no longer Mm -hmm. working with these acting coaches. So I didn't have like a mentor with me the entire time, which, you know, it's fine. It is what it is. Um, but I've definitely mm-hmm. learned like, it's beautiful to be like self-taught and like read all these books. But what I lacked was like community. I had no mm-hmm. one to speak about it with. Like my friends didn't really know about it. They weren't going to read these books. So a lot of it was sort of a one-way street. Whereas like now in my adulthood, I learned so much from Mike and mm-hmm. I understand that like spirituality is like it's a lifestyle whereas before when I was younger is definitely separate I was like this is my spiritual self now this Mm. is the straight a student self it was almost like always in boxes whereas Mm -hmm. now it's just it meshes into all of my life and I love it that way you know I wouldn't change it for the world so (laughs) yeah I love that that's so beautiful that something that you were passionate about organically led you to this spiritual path. You know, you ventured into acting and your, your acting teachers and coaches were like, Mm -hmm. Hey, like this is what it really is, you know? And Mm -hmm. I love when that happens because it kind of shows how we never know why we're being drawn to a thing, you know, and the Mm -hmm. fact that that started your path is actually just really beautiful, you know, to hear. Mm -hmm. And I definitely relate on the self-taught tip. I can (laughs) have a tendency to be a little (laughs) siloed myself and even forget about the importance of community. And I've definitely learned that so much. Um, I would say ever since I kind of ventured out on my own, my community ended up being so much bigger when I did that than it was before I I ventured out on my own, which I thought was so interesting. And I think it's because I was doing things that lit me up and that excited me and that was magnetic and, you know, bringing in people like you two who (laughs) are aligned, you know? And so that's really beautiful to hear. Did you feel like there was a particular turning point in your journey when you realized Mm -hmm. that everything was spiritual. You know, I kind of always say everything is spiritual, you know, and I know you all feel that too. Yeah. I would say like maybe two turning points. So Mm -hmm. the first one was when I was like 18, I went to go, uh, I got certified in yoga mm-hmm. and yoga, it basically changed the way I spoke to myself. Mm-hmm. So I always use this example, but I was studying to be a yoga sculpt instructor. So it's basically like 15 minutes of yoga and the rest is just like weights and like pushups and stuff. So they would always say like, you're not working out at the gym. So you can't say things like, come on, don't give up. You have to say things like you are stronger than you think. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And when I started taking that outside of the classroom, I started noticing like how negative my whole family was. And Mm. I've always had this identity, especially as a child that I'm happy all the time. And I Mm. like began to like, I didn't understand. I was like, why am I so happy? And my family isn't. And I have a lot of cousins who they do struggle with like mental illness. So that was like the first point where I started to be a little bit more open with spirituality. But again, like my openness was just me becoming more of an introvert and hanging out Mm. with, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I can be open with you guys because you're on the yoga path, you know? Mm -hmm. And then the second huge turning point is I would say this is when I knew I went from a spiritual journey to a healing journey, which is Mm. like a spiritual journey, but on steroids. And uh, it was January of 2020. I remember Mm. just waking up and being like, oh my God, like what's, what's going on? Like almost like Mm. in a panic. And I was in a very toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. And I remember that you know, as all kids do, we always say like, when I grow up, I'm not going to be anything like my mom. I'm not going to be anything like my dad. And Mm -hmm. I was in this toxic relationship, literally following the steps that my mom did in her like young adult life. Mm -hmm. And even at the time, my mom and my dad were going through a divorce. And I was like, when did I make the switch? Like, when did I go from like, independent Eileen to like, I sort of woke up and was like, what happened the past five years? Like it was a really strange moment. And I remember I pulled an Oracle card for myself and it talked about like being on a healing journey. Mm. And I was like, okay, whatever that means. And then COVID hits, right? Cause now it's like March. So mm-hmm. we're on lockdown. So now you're really having to face <laughs> it. Um, still in the toxic relationship, but finally like six months later. So like around summertime, I like end it. And it just like really, like I would say, the toxic relationship is really like what pushed me over the edge to a healing journey. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have had the awareness to wake up so early in life of, Mm. you know, like I could have easily been in my twenties, go bar hopping, even though like we're still Mm -hmm. in COVID, like, you know, we live in LA, a lot of people are still going out, (laughs) Uh, but it wasn't that for me at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And from there, it just began to increase more and more. And then um, even meeting Mike, like on our first date, we talked about ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. And then it took like finally a year later, I actually went. And, you know, it's just sort of like this healing journey is like, it's not like really like this. If I had to describe it, it's always just like straight up and you feel like you're going down, but you're really not. Like you're just keep going up that the higher you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's such a good point because I often hear people say, oh, you know, it's not a linear path. But yeah. when you zoom out and if you're looking at like a bar graph and you're looking mm-hmm. at the trajectory, it is exactly what you just said. It is constantly mm-hmm. ascending. So I love that you put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, it really is wow. on point. Especially Mm -hmm. because um, the last thing I would add is like I mentioned earlier that when I was younger, I was a happy child. Like that Mm -hmm. was just like my identity. And what that toxic relationship taught me was actually that I was depressed because Mm. my energy was just matching his. That even all those times where I thought I was this happy child, I just got really good at hiding it. 
Like Mm -hmm. there was never a point in my life. Like I always go through this of like, oh, I was so happy in my childhood, yet I can't think of any childhood memories. (laughs) Like I could think of like one or two, you know, Mm -hmm. that um, there is just no such thing of like, I was in this high back then and now I'm in this low of like, no, you just have the awareness now of like where you truly are, what frequency you're functioning at. Yeah. Yeah, I think like, when I think of like the waves versus graph Mm -hmm. that we're always in a sense on the, on a macro scale, always, always ascending to a version of ourselves with deepened awareness and Mm -hmm. a deepened sense of being. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I always give that sort of peak and Valley look because there's a shadow Mm -hmm. to every single light side. Mm -hmm. So if someone looks at like a graph and looks at it as just this up climbing, they're going to think that every step of the way is that experience where if you zoom back into your life, that constant breathing mechanism of zooming out, seeing that, oh, everything's great. We're moving. We're going exactly where we need to go. Mm -hmm. And then getting back in your life being like, nothing is working, you know, to come back Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. to yourself in that context representing the shadow side of it, the harder, more difficult side of the healing process and the Mm -hmm. and the spiritual process is important, you know? Yeah. So like I see kind of both sides of it. Like Mm -hmm. I've always been a serial optimist, like my Mm -hmm. whole life. So I'm Mm -hmm. always like, everything's gonna be fine, you know? Even like right before we got on the podcast, I'm like just getting out of the steam room. It's five minutes too. I'm like, <laughs> where's where are the tacos? We're fine, you know. Like I'm just mm-hmm. like things will work out. So that's like always yeah. been my my uh, energy. But at the mm-hmm. same time, this journey, even before it became spiritual, has shown me that all of that is possible. The expansion of that is possible. Deepening the awareness of that part of my being is possible only by how I'm able to sit with the darkest, deepest parts of Mm -hmm. myself and to be in the most confusing, disconnected feeling, alone feeling, distraught feeling, crumbled in order to continue to elevate in that like larger Mm -hmm. ascension graph, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And I think having that ability to both zoom in and out is so important. Mm -hmm. I wonder where that awareness comes in. I know it's different for everyone. I know for me, I think I'm also a serial optimist. Like people would describe me as an optimist for sure. Mm -hmm. And fortunately I have been on this journey for long enough to have seen the shadow parts and still be able to be optimistic. And I think that's the gift. I know I've talked about this with some of my other guests on the podcast, learning to see being presented with those shadows as a gift. And I feel like sometimes that doesn't happen. That awareness doesn't happen until you're on the other side, you know, of mm-hmm one of the first or the second or the third big one until you learn that, oh, once I transmute this or once I, you know, move through this, that's the next level. I'll be at the next level, you know, but really being with it and not 
rushing through. You can't rush through it. I mean, you just, you can't. <laughs> or you try to rush the further back you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're yeah. running backwards. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. It's like uh, in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, they speak of the bardos and the in-between states of death. So like the place you mm-hmm. go to, that's kind of like the, call it waiting room. Uh, before mm. you either re-enter back into reincarnation and rebirth or transcend that into somewhere else mm-hmm. consciously. But in that, there is you know, the statement of how can you appreciate the thousand beautiful deities and the thousand terrifying deities. Mm-hmm. Like They're all going mm-hmm. to manifest depending on where you are, but depending on what you're manifesting in your like visual or in the contextual experience, but whether it doesn't matter either side, they're both playing some level of a role in Mm -hmm. guiding you and in your learning process. So you put it so well uh, before that, like by going through all these experiences, transmuting these sludgier parts of ourselves in my own experience of that, it's almost like when I'm in those experiences, I'm like, ah, we're approaching something big, you know, or, or we're approaching yeah. something new. This is mm-hmm. new because I know what it feels like to feel so utterly calm. And I also know mm-hmm. what it feels like to feel like I'm completely chaotically out of control. I know that the calmness allows me to deepen my, my awareness and, and I can hear and feel things more mm-hmm. in the moment. But what, further deepens that awareness in of itself is the chaos is all the like Mm -hmm. craziness that comes up. So allowing that to kind of drive for a little while has been a very vital tool. And I would say pretty much my first 30 years of my life. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. And that's a good segue into to your story. Um, and thank you, Eileen, for you sharing and, and putting us on this path too. you all, you really do, um, compliment each other really well. I love it. <laughs> so, so yeah, let's, let's dig into your story, Mike. Um, sure. what has this past 30 years been like for you through a spiritual lens? And let's start with childhood with you as well. Like what did spirituality yeah. mean for you growing up? So, uh, similar to Eileen, although I didn't go to a a Catholic school or like a religious leaning school, went to CCD. Most of my family is like anyone pretty much above the age of 40 at the time when I was a kid were immigrants from Italy. So Mm -hmm. we're talking like either Catholicism or Christianity, some like version of either. Um, and so I grew up around a lot of, I would say religious people. Now, looking back, faith and connection, the way that I view it now might be different than what I feel like the embodiment of those certain individuals in my family, how they act in their life. I'm like, huh. But at the time, I was like, okay, this is a thing you're supposed to do. You know, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. So just like school, I was a class clown. You know, there were topics that I was interested in, but mostly like wasn't really interested in the organized religion side of it and kind of carrying that behavior straight through college and my twenties. Like even as I like experimented with different like drugs, I always steered Mm -hmm. away from like the plant medicines, the Mm -hmm. psychoactives. 
And I think mm-hmm. ultimately I was being guided to do them at the time I was ready to actually listen to them. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have any experience with those sorts of components till like my mid twenties. And so like all throughout my life, my dad was, he was an atheist, but he didn't really believe in anything. Mm-hmm. My mom just followed what my nana did. And a lot of people in my family were just like religious because that's what you're supposed to be. Mm. So for a long time, like I never didn't believe in something. I always believed in some level of a higher power. I think that Mm -hmm. being a serial optimist, like anyone that is, has some level of like awareness of that. Mm -hmm. At least from my perspective, I always like, I never questioned, but I never also like asked any questions about it until I would say probably moving out here when I was 25 and then approaching, I would say the ages of 27 to 28, 28 was the, was the year for me Mm. when I turned 28. Well, actually to backtrack up until that point, I've experienced, had experienced like extremely difficult things. My parents getting divorced was like probably the easiest of all of it. Losing Mm. friends to drug overdoses Uh, family members, like all sorts of different dancing with death and mortality. Not Mm -hmm. to mention, you know, my sister struggling directly with mental illness and suicide and substance abuse and all sorts of different addictions. My mother Mm -hmm. going through uh, her, her life struggling with mental illness, bipolar. So I had these like two figures in my life on the feminine side and then all the other things that were happening not to mm-hmm. mention the career I chose was being a music producer, actually a DJ for a while. So I was touring, drinking a lot, partying a lot. Mm-hmm. So I was just like pushing it away, pushing it away, pushing it away. Mm-hmm. And it exploded when I was 28. And it was through mm-hmm. a breakup at the time, kind of like a catalyst experience. It was like, mm-hmm. huh, I'm back here playing this same game. Why? Why do I keep doing this? Why? I'm unhappy. Mm-hmm doing everything I'm doing, why do I keep doing it? Mm -hmm. And so that led me on a journey to picking up meditation. I had meditated before, didn't have a practice, went to the den a few times in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I had done yoga before a couple of times, didn't have a practice. (laughs) I had experienced Reiki three times, didn't have a practice, didn't go to some one person, you know, just Mm -hmm. like dancing with this on a uh, philosophy side. I loved ethics. I loved philosophy. I loved Greek mythology. I loved the intellectualized part of spirituality. Mm -hmm. So I would get in these like kind of conversations, you know, I'd dance around it. But it wasn't until this kind of moment where I started, uh, I really started with Headspace. But within a week of starting my Headspace practice, I booked a 10 day silent meditation retreat. Now, (laughs) this is a perfect example of the type of person I am. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it at 150%. If -hmm. I'm going to climb a mountain, I'm going to climb Mount Everest. If I'm going to Mm -hmm. do an ice plunge, I'll stay in there for 30 minutes. You know, like (laughs) everything that I do to a fault sometimes is at like a certain level. And, you know, again, to a fault, there's a shadow side to that. But for the most part in my life, it's provided a situation that bypasses or actually transmutes fear. So you know, Mm. I'm 28 years old. I've barely meditated. And I'm like, sure, I'll go to Hong Kong and be (laughs) silent for 10 days, meditating for 10 (laughs) hours a day with complete strangers 
and half the program is in, you know, Chinese. Great. Let's do that. That sounds great. So I went there and it completely changed everything for me internally. Hmm. Now, at that point, when I was 28, I still had the same life, you know, partying. My career was was booming. You know, it was doing really well as a music producer, traveling a lot. All the things that people would consider like, oh, your life's going great. We're there. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of friends, lots of colleagues, lots of just craziness and cool stuff happening. But I went to Vipassana, healed and got in touch with so much of myself and then went back to the same fucking life mm-hmm. and did the same things and did not integrate for two years. In a matter oh. of two years, I went on four Vipassanas. I had just in Vipassana alone meditated 270 hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. In silence, like, <laughs> and still I'd go back, I'd get my fix, come back <sighs> within two months. I was, you know, all the triggers, the patterns would come back up and, but there was a difference inside a noticeable difference. And it yeah. took the pandemic happening to, I had started out. Um, I have a client, uh, Steve Aoki, and he, mm-hmm. uh, had hit me up to do this like weight loss bet, not even weight loss. It was more like a fitness bet. Like, Mm -hmm. what is the body fat percentage you've never been at? What is it going to take for you to do that? And so he hit me up because he knew that I was looking for an excuse to just not drink as much, you know? Mm. I'd socially drink like once or twice a week. That was just what people do here, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's like, that was far less than the five, six days a week when I first (laughs) moved here. So in doing that, I actually started to like, build my mind body relationship a little bit more. And now I had been working out, I had been, you know, competing at a at a fitness level with myself for a long time. But this was like, mm-hmm. pandemic happened, I didn't have any distractions. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go so hard in this. Then that deepened. And I was like, maybe I'll get my meditation practice going again. And then that led to maybe I'll take mushrooms every day for six months. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even call it a microdosing program because I was taking whatever I wanted to every, <laughs> you know, every day I was like, maybe this much, maybe that much, mm-hmm. go on hikes, go snowboarding, whatever. But the, the intention was there. It was presence. Mm-hmm. And so by, by having less distractions in the world and the presence and the help of the plant medicine and all these kind of shifting parts of myself coming to fruition, having the space to breathe. It led me, you know, I'd met Eileen uh, in October of 2020 and I had already gotten the call, like the calling to go and work with ayahuasca, to sit with ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. And so met her, we started talking about ayahuasca, meditation, yoga, and I was like, mm, this is nice. We can get into that later. But, <laughs> and so, you know, shortly thereafter, I went to the Peruvian jungle by myself and sat with many different plant medicines. And that I would say was the true beginning of me really understanding the bigger picture mm. of being able to go back to family members and talk about the Bible and, and, and feel what I'm saying, understand, mm-hmm. know what these, these beautiful scriptures are saying in my own context yeah. to be embodying this quality of myself that has been always ever present, but somewhere buried underneath the trauma to have no fear with with working with my shadow to yeah. be now guiding so many individuals and I had already been doing that in different ways 
but now in like such a deep way because there's there's this quality and and you know with David Elliott it's the same with any modality you can mm-hmm. only take someone as far as you've gone yourself yeah. so like that's my cue is like okay every time i'm sitting in medicine for me i'm like where's the bottom i know there's not a bottom but like where is it <laughs> you know so i'm digging and digging and that's difficult but it's been providing patience for not only like my career my ever changing social situation my changing relationships with my family members our ever evolving mm-hmm. relationship um mm-hmm. the community that we're now supporting and, and and a part of the future of what we're building with like other other sorts of retreats uh wellness center like all sorts of different really wonderful stuff and after that after taking that six month period to really truly integrate on a deep deep level what was once a compartment of my life like eileen was saying became the compartment Mm -hmm. everything was under the umbrella and the lens of spirituality and it doesn't mean that like every time i pick up my water bottle i'm like oh god you know i'm not (laughs) like that sort of but not totally like that but like there's just like everything that happens there's there's every day every moment becomes this deepened awareness of you know like we were home and family this last week and like i was so aware of how i felt in the midst of this stuff happening mm-hmm. and knowing that allowed me to start to find the place where I can connect with individuals in my family that aren't necessarily spiritual at all to find some level of commonality. And it's Mm. difficult, don't get me wrong, but it's that that process is so beautiful as hard as, as it can be. So after, you know, dancing with the divine and, and, La Madre and and then working in many plant medicines over the last year, getting facilitation and certification in breath work, in Akashic Records and Theta Healing in, you know, cold plunge, like all this stuff, just boom, 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 you know, mm-hmm. it's been quite the journey. And, you know, our relationship has been both unbelievably beautiful and stunning. And at the same time, two individuals that are staring at our shit. So really mm-hmm. hard, you know, like... It's like, look at my stuff. Look at my stuff. Oh, that's pretty bad. This is pretty bad too. Oh, you know, it's like that constant, but we we both know that there's a true North. So yeah. Yeah. So my, my journey has actually been kind of a circle. It's Mm -hmm. started in and rooted in religion out of ritual of being an Italian American Mm -hmm. through all this transformation back to having, you know, the old Testament and like the five book of Moses as my next books Mm -hmm. of reading and and now really being able to feel and hear those beautiful stories. Um, So it's been, yeah, it's been quite the journey. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And um, yes, I, going back to what you said about you doing things on 10,000, I definitely (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thought that when you shared how often you cold plunge, I was like, okay, that's intense. <laughs> but yeah. it's a beautiful thing, you know? And I, I think this is actually a really beautiful segue into you all's spiritual partnership. And so 
one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you two together is because I was really inspired by how you come together to support the healing of others, to help others come home to their own healing journeys. And there's so much authenticity between you. And I also see a lot of individuality between you, which is one of the important pieces of spiritual partnership. And so it's something that I've been really fascinated about for some time, ever since I read um, Gary Zukov's uh, Spiritual Partnership and also recently um, read a book a friend of mine shared with me called Conscious Loving. I don't know if you've heard of that mm. one, but they all really speak to this idea of being in conscious connection with another human being and maintaining the closeness of the connection while also maintaining your individual journey as well and how it all really plays into one another. And I just kind of intuitively, you know, picked up on that with you two. And I can tell that you have this beautiful connection that's authentic and honest and beautiful. And so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit too here. And I think it would be fun to actually start with how you two met. If you want to share that story, you want to give your perspective, then I'll give mine. Okay. So, because there are two very different perspectives. <laughs> that's very com- that's very common. Yeah. 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 Okay, so I am going to a Halloween party, and it's COVID, and I'm over here like, what am I doing going to a Halloween party? But at the time, I was really big on the app. It's called the Pattern. And I think they have like Mm -hmm. new owners. So it's very different now. But at the time they used to have like peak dates and I had a peak date where I was supposed to meet like a soulmate Mm -hmm. that was going to be like a long-term relationship. And it was either going to be someone who launches my career or like all it said was like a long-term relationship. So I was like, okay, so my husband, or it could be both. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, whatever. And I normally like, I'm not a really big party girl, you know, like I, I like, going to parties and then just not drinking and being the designated driver. Like that's just who I am. Um, Mm -hmm. So my friends like convinced me to go out like, no, remember, like you're supposed to meet someone on this day. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I love Halloween. So we went to a party, that party ended early. So then someone there invited us to Mike's house. So we come over to this house and I'm just like very, I, I think it, I don't like being in a house where I don't know the owner. So I'm over here like, oh, I'd like to meet the owner just so that he doesn't think like, who are these random people? Everyone there, it's in Hollywood. It's like, Eileen, no one cares about this stuff. Like, you're just like this <laughs> small town Burbank girl, you know. So anyway, um, as that was happening, Mike was sort of coming over. So it happened, you know, like we sort of connected at the same time. And mm-hmm. Within like 30 minutes of like talking to me, he said something really sweet. And he was like, if I could kick everyone out of my house right now just to get to know you, I would. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. Like, okay, how many times have you used that pickup line? And, you know, and he asked if he could take my number. And I was like, you know, I'm not interested. But if you want to give me a free meal, like that's okay with me. Right. So then he's like, okay, like gets my number, goes and socializes some more. And uh, keep in mind, like, I had just been out of that toxic relationship. So in Mm -hmm. my mind, I'm like, I'm at a high. I was like, I'm going to be single for four years. No one's going to take me off this high horse. Like, I love being single. (laughs) But I was like, I should still be open. So whatever. 
And we go on this date and then, which to him it's a date, but to me it's just friends hanging out and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I could tell he's like treating it like a date. And at the end of the night, after he like dropped me off, like super gentleman, I honestly, I should emphasize how big of a gentleman he was. Like Mm -hmm. when he picked me up, got out of the car, opened my door, asked to take my jacket. I was like, I can just get in your car. So, you know, (laughs) so that you could really see like where he was. Mm -hmm. I was seeing things and he like drops me off and then he texts me that night saying I had a great time with you I'd love to like get to know you some more and all this stuff and I was like so this is the time where I should tell you like I'm really not interested and I told him you give me brother vibes (laughs) and I think looking back like I don't know if I necessarily meant that it was just more of like I'm gonna be single like no one Mm -hmm. no I just Mm -hmm. wasn't ready to really date even though I was saying and honestly I didn't even go on that many dates but Mm -hmm. you know trying to convince myself that I'm open Mm -hmm. and I was like you know we don't have to play this game of like I'm sure you have enough friends I have enough friends like it's fine and he was like you know normally I would like to agree with you but for some reason I feel like I'm supposed to be in your life for some reason maybe I'm supposed to be your mentor he's like text me this right and I'm thinking I was like what I should be your mentor (laughs) I'm more spiritual (laughs) than you like very like just judgmental of like you're the one who threw a party with drinking and I'm over here like in my righteous horse like I don't even drink I just went out for my friends Um, keep in mind that was the sixth time I drank that year so this was the year I cut down she got you on that one day one night you know yeah and also I remember when he told me he was a music producer you sort of get that a lot so I was like okay sure 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 but then when I see like oh he actually does do music and like his music's good then it's like another not a red flag but like a judgment of like oh he's definitely not spiritual then if he's a music producer you know (laughs) He was just judging me heavy. (laughs) Yeah. So then some time went by, like three months, and uh, we would sort of like keep in contact, like just through Instagram, like I'd respond to his story, he would respond to mine. Now it's January, I'm moving out, doing like big girl moves, got my big girl job, moving out with a roommate, living in Calabasas, making good money, Mm -hmm. I'm really excited. And he just reached out to me. It was like, oh, would you want to go to a Stranger Things event or something like that? And I was like, I think my brain was in so much like move out mode that I hadn't like had a social life for like three weeks. So I think a part of me was like, you know, I should go out, like just have fun. And I remember when we saw each other, it was almost as if no time has passed, but also as if we're best friends forever. And Mm. I really appreciated like I, I really felt like he was my friend like it never felt of course he was kind to me and like complimented my brain and you know called me beautiful but it really felt like he was my friend which I loved and mm. then from that day forward we would just like text every day again still I'm like really in denial and then <laughs> one day Mike sort of puts his foot down and is like, you know, this sort of going back and forth is confusing me. Like, I would like to move things forward, you know, not just be friends. And sends me like this long text. And I was just like, okay, no worries. Peace out. Have a great life. And then the next day, I'm like waking up super depressed. And I've been on this like high horse for like, six months of like, I was sleeping like five hours a day. I was like a crazy person. So I'm over here like, 
wow, what happened last night? I really must have attracted some negative energy from the dinner I had. Just completely like had no awareness as to why I was feeling the way I was. Mm. And then the day is going on more. My mom happens to call me. I like call her and I tell her, I was like, I think I found this like great guy, but I don't want to give him a chance. And she was like, okay, well, like, why don't you want to? And it was two reasons. But the first one is like, it's pretty bad. I was like, well, he has tattoos, like he has sleeves. And she was like, and, and I'm over here, like on the other side of the phone. I was like, what do you mean? And like, you're, you and my dad are the ones who told me like, don't ever date anyone with tattoos. (laughs) Then I think when she just said that and of, oh, I'm like, I'm not a kid anymore. Like I get to make my own Mm -hmm. choices. So that sort of relieved it. And the second was just of like, it's okay to like fail. She was like, okay, so like you try dating him. And if you guys don't work out, you just break up. It's not that big of a deal. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) And then um, after that call, I got on a call with my best friends and I was like telling them the story. How I'm like, I'm pretty upset. um, And I don't know why we're on FaceTime. They're like kind of laughing at me. And I'm like, what? And they're like, do you really not see it? And I was like, no, what? They're like, you like Mike. And I'm like, what? No, I don't like Mike. And then as I'm like saying it, I was like, oh, wow, I have feelings for this guy (laughs) that I just keep suppressing down. Um, So then I reached out and then it was pretty funny because he was like, you know, Eileen, I wasn't saying we had to get married like within two weeks. (laughs) I was just saying like, I'd like for us to go into Move more. Forward. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. So that was her short I love version. That. I love it. I will Thank give you, you my version. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I, that was the one night I was going to throw, I threw the party. So I was like, this is Halloween. A lot of us haven't gone out, thrown a party. Mm-hmm. A bunch of people came in in different shifts, saw the skeleton girl. Mm-hmm. I was like, I mm-hmm. need to go talk to this skeleton girl. I just, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm a little, little drunk and I'm mm-hmm. like, okay. So we have a beautiful, like two hour conversation, you know, kind of interweaved in like socializing with other people. And, you know, the, all the same story. Like I could see that, like, she did actually have feelings for me. She just didn't <laughs> know it yet. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I was like, how can I play this? slow enough where it isn't going to drive me crazy, but also quick enough where it's like, uh, there is a sense of pressure urgency. Mm-hmm. So that happened over, you know, we didn't speak for a little while and then that's when the process started. And, you know, we'd be on the, these dates cause they were dates and <laughs> you know, she'd be just trying to like put me in this box of friend. When she told me I gave her older brother vibes, I was like, all right, might as well be your mentor then. All right. Like, and, <laughs> What was ironic is like, from my perspective, if she had said what was going on in her head of like, I should be yours. I'm like, motherfucker, I've been to four meditation retreats. What have you been? You know, like, what have you done? Like, so, you know, thankfully that interaction never happened. But anyway, you know, meeting her was really a manifestation. Mm. I'm not the same type of manifester as Eileen where she'll like, you know, yell at the moon and burn a bunch of stuff but like I really was working on myself so intensely that the partner I really needed was her mm-hmm. and so meeting her at that time was not only a precursor to where I was going but also of where I was at 
And so I kept feeling into that and I was like, you know, you're checking so many of these boxes off, but the Mm -hmm. funniest box of all was like, you're going to (laughs) crash. I was like, you're riding this high and me knowing the shadow of all of it. I'm like, this is going to be big. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so what was, what was interesting is like, you know, all this dance happened and I put my foot down, she put her foot down. And then all of a sudden we started dating. And Mm -hmm. then a week in we like, I broke up with her. Right. And the Mm -hmm. only, and I breaking up is like a weird term. Cause like, you Mm -hmm. know, we were only casually dating, but she was like so high energy that I was like, damn, I'm eight years older than her. Right. So I'm Mm -hmm. 32. She's 24. I'm like, she's too young. That's it. She's not at the same place as me. And Mm -hmm. I remember being like that, boom, boom, you know, like, and then, so Mm -hmm. this whole period of time like happened where I was thinking about ending it. I realized that maybe I'd gotten too ahead of myself and like pedestaled her in a certain way. But then Mm -hmm. she told me, she's like, oh no, I'm not like this. I'm just coping with deep sadness. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. So I was like, fuck, I was wrong. Okay, shit. So then I had to kind of win her back over, you know, like Mm. and so that process happened. And then what was interesting is like really the first six to eight months of our relationship she was in the opposite of the high. So we started mm. out in the fucking weeds. We started yeah. out like in the swamp. Yeah. And, you know, at the same time, I had been going through my own process, ayahuasca, sapo, mushrooms, or uh, psilocybin, all these medicines, breath work. Mm-hmm. I was like digging and digging and digging and digging. And Mm -hmm. she was also in her own way digging. And then finally, you know, we went together to Peru to experience Aya to get, you know, uh, down there. And so like, it was this like interesting thing. And I think it's why, you know, even though things get so difficult with us sometimes, why we will be phased in the moment, but then like after a certain amount of time, be like, oh, that was ridiculous. You know, that, oh, that's so silly. Like, mm-hmm. because we've just been through all these experiences together. Our, our foundation is in chaos. Mm-hmm. Literally was chaos. Literally. Yeah. Like she was going through so much in her personal life and I was transforming at such a quick rate that mm-hmm. we were just like, like it was so crazy. Mm-hmm. But because of that, I think we learned how to find a middle ground. We learned how to yeah. communicate with each other in a productive way and work through these shifts and these valleys. Cause it's inevitable that, you know, everything in life goes through a flux of change. We're in a mm-hmm. constant flux of change. Our emotions are, are literally our chemicals in our body um, our environment. So when we get to those sticky mm-hmm. places, it'll be sticky. We'll, you know, this morning we got into like a mm-hmm. whole thing and, uh, but we're here mm-hmm. and yeah. we work through it. We're not afraid yeah. to go through it. Yeah, We don't look at it and say, Oh no, no, not, not this. We're like, here it is. You're acting this way. I'm acting this way. This is happening in this certain way. This is how I feel. This is how you feel. How can we reconcile? Mm-hmm. How can we learn and move forward from there? So, but yeah, it was, it was interesting because like our two perspectives of how the relationship <laughs> started was like, mm-hmm. I was like, this, this cocky ass 23 year old, <laughs> <laughs> she thinks she's just going to fly high for the rest of her life. <laughs> and, yeah. and, but we, we both learned so much through each yeah. other. Like, mm-hmm. Without going through that period of time, 
failing to hold space for her, I wouldn't have realized the critical weakness in my self and in my ability to hold space for others moving into this these healing modalities and Mm -hmm. that's why i think we complement each other so much is like she's very much Mm -hmm. like ah it's okay in your own time and i'm like fucking do it you know like and (laughs) with those two speeds like we we sort of work at a whenever we're holding space for people together there's this balance to it Mm -hmm. that's really beautiful so um so thank you also for like catching on to that because we feel that ourselves yeah yeah it comes through so beautifully it really does and i love that you talked about when you said that your your foundation was like this like starting out um what came up for me was or that's how it was being built you know that's how it was being built and um through the lens of spiritual partnership, I'm actually going to read like a little definition of it because I think it's like very aligned with the two of you. But it's beautiful that, you know, the same way we talked about being able to be with the individual shadows, you know, shadows come up. The shadows are always individual, but when you're in partnership, they are shared inherently because they impact, you know, one another and you become mirrors, you know, for one Mm. another. And so being able to look at those shadows together is a whole other piece of just the journey, being able to share your shadows and look at them together. And so it does take a lot of bravery and it's really inspiring to hear, you know, how you all move through that. And it's a very like, it's basically the way just because like of these, like the things that I've, you know, been learning about and just reading about this, like it's the way that it's supposed to flow, you know? And I think we (laughs) have so much deconditioning, you know, to do around relationships and what it's supposed to be like, you know? And Mm -hmm. also going back to everything being spiritual, like looking at relationships as a spiritual journey, like a shared, you know, spiritual journey. And so sometimes I'll just be, you know, in the world and I will see, you know, two people who exemplify what that looks like. And I'm just like, huh? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. You know, and that's what it, happened it's a with sticky you two. Dance. It's a yeah, sticky it's dance. a sticky dance. Yeah. There's, um, there's a book that I'm actually just looking on my phone. Um, uh, so there's a author, hold on. I'll get Sambafo Some, The Spirit of Intimacy. And oh, it's yeah. uh yeah, that's a good yeah, one. beautiful book. And and so for those of the listeners or anyone that mm-hmm. doesn't know about this book, it's a specific lens on the spirit of a relationship and how community plays a huge role yeah. in this specific African culture tradition that the perspective is that the relationship is a part of the community. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, when two individuals have their own stuff, they also create a spirit for the relationship. And that spirit goes through the same peaks and valleys and changes that each of us go through individually. So in order to really like see the full scope and be supported, part of where we've been able to get into flow has been through this community that we're cultivating and being a part of, whether mm-hmm. it's through plant medicine or it's through these workshops that 
we're, we feel very supported where otherwise we didn't have the right support system to go yeah. and turn to other people that do dance in the stickiness. And they're just like, and we can laugh. We're going to laugh about it. Like our friends love and Desiree always tell us stories about <laughs> their stuff. And it's a little of the mm-hmm. same stuff for us, just like different mm-hmm. details. And then the other side of it too, is acknowledging the fact that we're both going through our own experiences. Yeah. And we also have, if we want to be a partnership, a responsibility for that shared spiritual experience. And it's hard when we're both dancing in stickiness because then the relationship is dancing in stickiness. It's a reflection. Mm-hmm. But there are times where I think we really balance each other out. And it shows specifically when one of us is going through something challenging and the other person may not be in the challenging space, mm-hmm. that those moments are like clearly indicators of how strong our relationship spirit is. Mm-hmm. And then when things are sticky, we're like, and then we go take the space and then we can come back and reconcile. And that also is the strength of the relationship too. Mm -hmm. I love that book. Anyone that's like on any spiritual path or just like loves love, Mm -hmm. great perspective about intimacy and, and a um, guideline almost to coping with problems, to dealing with what can come up day to day in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. That's such a good one. And I just love you too. I'm so glad (laughs) that we got to have this conversation. I'm going to actually, we've been talking for a while. I know we've dug into a lot and I actually want to get into one final question to kind of help support our listeners. Um, Our spiritual journeys and practices are always individual and what we feel called to do. But I always think it's nice to, um, you know, have our guests share what your non-negotiable spiritual practices are Mm. so that when people hear it, it may resonate with whoever it's supposed to resonate with. And then they go off and, you know, start doing the thing and that leads to other things. And next thing you know, they're on this path. And so, yeah, let's start with you, Eileen. Uh, What are the non-negotiable spiritual practices that you just will not miss for yourself that are so important both for your individual growth and also for the growth of your relationship too? Mm -hmm. I would say the two that come up is 10 minutes of breath work, Mm non-negotiable. And the second one is, I don't know what you'd want to call it, but I always put a protection shield over me wherever I go. Mm. And it's like, It just takes like a couple seconds, maybe two minutes, Mm. but you do have to like pause and like ask your spirit guides for help and like just really almost like take that moment to like create the day that you desire because it doesn't mean that you're not going to receive chaos. It just means that when the chaos comes, you just sort of, I don't know, you feel a little bit more grounded Mm. and yeah, but I don't journal all the time. Um, but these are things like I do every single day, whereas like Mm -hmm, there's other things mm -hmm. like journaling and, you know, uh, but those are the two that are like absolutely Mm non-negotiable. I would say for Mm -hmm. me, this is an interesting one. It's actually the modality of flexibility, not like literal flexibility, like Mm -hmm. flexibility and intuitive practices. So Mm -hmm. a curiosity 
like you were saying, every person is different. Your curiosity and what you gravitate towards also evolves. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's always been learning. It's always been new ways of maybe even doing the same thing. But as far as Mm -hmm. modalities go, breath work, 100%, meditation, they're usually coupled, but sometimes I do one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, could be any time in the day. I meditate constantly. You know, I'll just like mm-hmm. eyes open, eyes closed, doesn't matter. I would say some level of cold therapy every week. So like ice plunging is usually my go-to. And a practice that is going to start to become one of the non-negotiables. There's actually one that has already become it. And then a second that will become it. The one that has become a part of my weekly, I would say, because I look a little bit different than just day to day. It's like weekly or monthly mm-hmm. is, ha- is Hape. So Hape mm-hmm. is like an Amazonian snuff mm-hmm. from all different parts of South America. And it is a deeply grounding and expansive type of experience to keep you centered, focused, clear energy. It's a beautiful, beautiful medicine. Um, short experience, but I, you know, sometimes use it up to four times in a day, especially around ceremony. And it's Mm -hmm. been a really uh, beautiful reminder of what's important and what's actually underneath all the chaos and the noise. Mm -hmm. And then the second that will be starting to become more of my daily routine is Akashic Records. So reading my own records, Mm -hmm. being in the space of records, um, learning from my own records, because it's like the one thing I say to everyone who is looking at spiritual practice or building any level of spiritual practice is discipline is important up into a certain ex- like point. Then things mm-hmm. become more intuitive, but everything has a spirit or a relationship to it. So mm-hmm. if you plan to be a teacher in anything, you have to be practicing it at least multiple times a week. And mm-hmm. so as someone that would like to open records more in, a, in the Akashic dimension, I have to spend more time in the Akashic mm-hmm. dimension. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah, those are those are like my non-negotiables, and there's a ton of other stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing those, uh, both of you. Um, definitely practices that we don't hear often, and that are more, I feel like, mainstream emergent. You know, and so I appreciate you sharing that for sure, and just appreciate you in general again for for doing this and I'll make sure we have all the links and the socials and all the things for people to continue to follow you both and, you know, potentially participate in one of the events that you all beautifully put together. Maybe I'll see, you know, some of our listeners there. Mm -hmm. So be sure to check out the show notes for all of our listeners and yeah, this was beautiful. And thank you again. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to my spiritual friends from Worthy Well. If you enjoyed the conversation, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Shelby Renee Giles. And to check out Worthy Well's latest events and offerings, visit our website at worthywell.co. Until next time, journey well.